Well, I want to welcome you to the Hills Church at Home. In fact, all summer, all of our summer months and really our weekend, our Sunday service, we are teaching around the book of Revelation. So it'll be easy to find in your Bible or however you're following along. But I'd encourage you to go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org, download the message notes in fact, uh, even if you've missed a week or two and you don't see that particular date and notes available, email us and we'll be able to get you those notes. But all of our videos and even messages on podcast are on. They're not taken down so you can follow along. Well, my message title today is going to be some of the words that John uses in the book of Revelation chapter four, after these things, after these things. In fact, let me start right away with Revelations chapter 119. We used this verse last week, so let's use this verse again. Let's look at a couple things, and then we're going to move on today to Revelation chapter 4. Uh, in fact, I feel like I'm kind of coming backwards and forwards, but I think this is important today before we move on in the, in the entire book of Revelation. So John, John says this, or writes this down, what Jesus tells him to say Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Write the things that you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. Now, I emphasize this uh, in this one verse, capitalizing these letters if you're watching, you can see it. If you're just listening, you don't know. But let me let me read it and I'll emphasize it because it really lays out for us this entire book of Revelation. And I think it'll help us in our studies to, to understand what Jesus wanted to say to John and when and some timing of things that would happen. Revelation 119, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And so we broke down really the book of Revelation like this. Chapter one has to do with the things which are seen. Chapters two and three have to do with the things that are. In fact, we looked at that last week. We really looked at the one church, which kind of gives us a picture of the church age and really the times that we're living in that church of Laodicea. You can catch up on that. And then the last one, chapters 4 through 22, after this, after this. That's what we're going to get started today. But as we as we get through that, you know, um, one of the things is we know this. We know that we are near the end. And here's when we know that the end will happen it is when the church fulfills what God's purpose is for her. See, God has a purpose for the church. We know Jesus said to take this gospel to the entire world and then the end will come. So there, there is a purpose. There's a time that only God knows, but we know that we're near the end. In fact, even in my, uh, my driving route to our church and our church office on the 210 freeway just before the Myrtle exit, I noticed a new sign went up about a week ago. And there's always one that says um, Jesus is the answer. But a new one popped up that said, Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? In fact, that was a new sign that was put up. 
Now, now, when I look at those things, um, it might have been up. I may have missed it, but it was one of those signs that, you know, I believe a lot of people are sensing that our time is near. It made me remember a story. In fact, I only remember highlights of it. But if you followed sports into the late 80s and 90s, there was a guy by the name of the Rainbow Man. And he, he the reason he had that name is he had this big rainbow wig that he wore. He got into almost every major televised sporting event. He was particularly seen uh, at football games, but he was in the end zone. So whenever a team would score or they kick the extra point of a field goal, he would stand up. He almost had like the always the best seat, uh, and he would hold up a sign. You couldn't miss him. Rainbow hair, John 316 sign. In fact, one of the things when he was asked about it, is he wanted people to wonder if they didn't know what John 16, 316 was and get a Bible and go and read that verse and accept the Lord. He was at football games, baseball games, even appeared at the Olympics. But I think what ended up happening is he got so focused on that one me message, I think he almost radicalized himself because he felt like back in 1992, that Jesus was coming back in six days and he had to get the word out. He ended up planting three or four stink bombs, some at ministries. Then uh, before he was arrested, he, um, he took a hostage at a hotel into his hotel room, took a hostage and on the phone, he was threatening to shoot down planes uh, that were flying in and out of LAX airport. But I remember that one report is they, when they were showing the cameras hitting his hotel window, he had the John 316. So that's not the way to go out. But nevertheless, uh, John 316 was the right message. If you're a fan or love In-N-Out uh, hamburger on the soda cup at the bottom underneath says John 316. I believe it was Tim Tebow when he played for the University of Florida uh, he would wear his, those eye patches and it had John 316. And so we know that it's that one verse is powerful, that the message is the same, that Jesus is coming soon and we want to be aware. Now, before we get into these verses, I, I wanted to, to throw out here and, and you'll kind of see how quickly that God can move when he is ready to move. Now, let me read this one verse. This is out of the Amplified. The very first time we see a promise in the Bible about a Messiah or about what we know Jesus, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In fact, if you remember, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 have sinned. In fact, this is part of the curse that comes down on them. And in the Amplified, God says this, and I will put enmity or open hostility between you and the woman. He's talking about the serpent and the woman, that example of Satan and mankind, and between your seed, offspring, and her seed. Between your seed and her seed. And you'll notice that in many of the Bible translations, that word, her seed, is capitalized referring to Jesus. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. You know, that's the first promise, Genesis chapter 3. And think about it, from Genesis 3.15 to when Jesus is born is about 4,000 years. 
Yet we read in the book of Exodus, we read examples of what is called a type of Christ. If you remember before the Exodus, they were to get a lamb, they were to shed its blood, they were to paint the blood on the doorpost. It was to be a sign of the Passover. We know there were illustrations in the wilderness of the brazen serpent that was raised. That was an example of Jesus coming all throughout the Bible, prophetically in Isaiah. It's mentioned him about a child, mentioned about a crucifixion. All prophetically it was to come. And yet between Genesis 3.15 and, and what we read in Matthew and in Mark, or Matthew and in Luke, when Jesus comes is about 4,000 uh, years. But when Jesus is born up until his ministry starts is about 30 years. In fact, in those 30 years, we only see that he's born and we see him talk at 12 years of age. But that's it in 30 years. But then when his ministry begins, his entire ministry is only three and a half years. And between death and resurrection is three days. And then after that in Acts starts the church age. Isn't it interesting, we go from 4,000 years to a 30-year period to a three-day period, how quickly things can come. And remember, from Jesus being born to, till him being resurrected, all of these promises about him were fulfilled like that. You know, when we looked several weeks back when we had looked at uh, the nation of Israel, Remember, it was in 1948 that Israel became a nation. But if you go back to 1945, that's the end of World War II. And my, my wife and I were watching a documentary on the Holocaust the other night. It was really, it was the Hungarian Jews that were taken to Auschwitz. And there was something that was mentioned that I thought was very, very interesting is they were, they were mentioning that towards the end of the war, before it was ending, that Hitler took his eyes off of the war and started focusing more on killing the Jews. It wasn't about the war. In fact, they felt that if he had stayed focused on the war, they could have won the war, or at least they would have been more successful. But he focused on killing the Jews. Here's what I thought nobody knew in 1945. If somebody would have said, hey, just hang on. In three years, you'll have a nation. Nobody would have believed that. After the darkest day in probably the history of the Jewish people, 1948 comes where they become a nation. 1967 comes where they're able to get back Jerusalem, which if you notice even today and even a headline this week uh, was if the Jewish people march on the Temple Mount, that could incite Hamas again to start attacks. But in 1988, there was another prophetic thing that took place where over a million Jews, primarily from Russia and other countries, came back to settle in Israel. Why do I say all of these things? Because it's interesting that time can go so quick towards the end where things get aligned and things get in place that we really like that sign on the freeway, are we ready? Are we ready? All right, let's pick this up in Revelation chapter 4. And I want to read uh, all of these 11 verses for us. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Now remember, John talked about things that he had seen, things that are the churches. And now it's going to be after these things, he's going to glimpse into heaven. And here's what we read. 
After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like Jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and on the throne I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robe and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion and the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let me say that again. Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast down their throne, cast down their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Hey, if that's not a description that we get about heaven, but I wanna focus in a little bit today about some of the ones that he saw after these things in there. You know, we read in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Remember, this would have been earlier. And it's mentioned in here about one of the churches and about them enduring. He who overcomes, notice what they're wearing, shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out their name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before their angels. What are they wearing? Uh, what Jesus says they'll be wearing, they're going to be clothed in white garments. Now, let's look again at verse 4 of Revelation 4, and it gives us a description about what we see. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and on the throne I saw 24 elders clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. 
Well, let, let's talk about that for just a minute, okay? So 24 thrones, 24 el elders clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Here's what I believe that we get a picture of in Revelation chapter four. I have mentioned this several weeks back. I believe, and I believe we see it in the scripture, that the next event to take place in this church age is what we refer to the wording of the rapture of the church, which the apostle Paul uh, refers to as the gathering together of the saints or being caught up in the air to meet Jesus in the air, what we call the rapture of the church. I believe that is the very next event. I believe before the Antichrist can come on the scene that the church has to be gone from the earth. And I also believe as we read in a couple of the New Testament scriptures that we're not appointed to wrath, but uh, as the church begins to leave is when the Antichrist comes on the scene. But notice, what John saw, 24 elders clothed in white robes, having crowns. Here's what I believe that he saw. I believe that he saw the church in heaven after the rapture of the church, before all of these events take place. In fact, we get into the next couple chapters and that's where the scrolls are open. You know, the term elder, we don't see as a heavenly uh, word like angels or the angels that we just saw. It was used as a word. In fact, we know that the 12 tribes of Israel had elders. We know that there were elders back in Moses's time. The word elders were used of people who had various positions, whether in their tribe, their community, or as we know today, even in their church, 24 elders. That's an earthly term, not a heavenly term. So I believe that John sees into heaven at the church and whoever these elders are, they're in there and they have, notice what they're wearing, white robes, just like what was mentioned in Revelation chapter three, said you would wear a white robe. Now, when he mentioned that in chapter three, it was something that you were going to wear in heaven. So again, I believe we see elders, I, they're wearing white robes. Now notice what they're wearing they're wearing the crown. In fact, that, that verse mentions they have crowns of gold on their head, which show us that they have received their re reward, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago as well, the judgment seat of Christ. Elders, robes, crowns, right? I believe that in this verse, we see John looking and seeing the church in heaven. Now that becomes very powerful because as we go on in the book of Revelation, those are the things that are now going to be happening on earth. Now remember this as we go on to a couple of verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2 through 4, the apostle Paul writes these and I think it's important to go over these again. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you like a thief. What is the Apostle Paul saying? 
when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like a thief in the night. The apostle Paul calls it later. It's going to be a moment in a twinkling of an eye. He mentions, he uses those analogies of birth pains of a woman about ready to go into labor. When we look at earth today, we look at the nations, we look at our communities, we look at our nation. Boy, it sure looks like birth pains taking place, but he lets us know those words. Brethren, you're not in darkness, right? You're not underwear that the day should overtake you like a thief. Well, Peter, I believe, picks up on this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 through 10. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Think about that. We started with 4,000 years of prophecy, 30 years of Jesus on, on earth before his ministry, a three and a half uh, your period of ministry, three days from death to resurrection, the church age, opportunities for people to hear the gospel, you know, uh, especially in our nation. And I do believe because of social media, online platforms, um, podcasts, radio, the gospel is being preached. And here's the Lord's heart. He, he is long suffering towards us. He is long suffering towards people, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, we started out with that rainbow man analogy that felt we were so passionate that Jesus was coming back in six days that it became something that he got radical but James lets us know this. In fact, James uses a word that nobody likes the word patience. Nobody wants to hear the word patient. But James uses that word. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You know, we know this, that Jesus is coming again, but he's coming in the clouds first. And Jesus will come again. He will come at the end of the tribulation, but he'll come to the earth. We'll see that a little bit later in the book of Revelation. But here he's talking about the coming of the Lord is where he is in the clouds at that rapture of the church. So he says this, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, if you've ever planted anything, if you've ever, you know, a lot of times when we buy plants or we buy a fruit tree or we, we, we buy them and they already have fruit on it. He's using that analogy of a farmer planting something. You know, you go out, you don't see anything one day. You don't see anything the next day. The next day, there might be a little tiny sprout. It takes time. He says, you be patient patient for the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is coming, but he uses this at the end. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And he says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, 
The judge is standing at the door. Interesting word. Because the very first thing after Jesus takes us up to heaven is we go through the judgment seat of Christ. The rewards that we'll see. Isn't it interesting? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, let me scroll back up and read that first part of the of the book of Revelation, chapter 4. John says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. You know, we just had read last week, Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. There will be a time, there will be a day when Jesus comes back. And it will be a day we need to be patient for, but we need to remember this. It is a day that is coming and is coming soon. We need to be ready. In fact, I've mentioned this over the, the last few weeks. We need to be ready that Jesus could come back in the next 10 minutes. But we also need to plan as if Jesus is coming back in 100 years. We're to be patient. But every sign sure lines up. Everything is happening so quickly before us. In fact, I remember Jesus' own words in John chapter 14, verse 23. And he says these words, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, notice what he says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I will receive you to myself. You know, that, that sure gives me a great picture of us being raptured up to the clouds with him. But notice what he says. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I wanted to get this little description before we close today. In fact, I'm going to leave up if you're uh, watching, I'm going to leave up on the screen that you could research even what I'm about to tell you as far as Old Testament or historic Jewish weddings. You can look it up and, and do the research uh, along what I did. So Jesus uses some interesting words about his father's house having mansions and him going to prepare a place for us. And remember, we are called the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, in fact, we see this with what Abraham did to get a wife or a bride for his son, Isaac, how it was laid out. In fact, I'll, I'll mention it quickly. The father would already know uh, what, what lady or um, a bride, that he would already know which one he wants for his son. But the father would send a servant and the servant would go and the servant would go to the, that, the household, whoever the father is, and the servant would negotiate what we would refer to today as the dowry. He would, um, he would negotiate that. And at the middle of the negotiation, once the agreement was settled, they were betrothed. Now, we read that word about Joseph and Mary. They were betrothed. It was as if they had a marriage contract, though it wasn't consummated in their marriage ceremony. Nevertheless, in order to break that, it was like a divorce. So the moment that marriage was agreed upon, there was a transaction or whatever taken place, they were betrothed. The servant would come back, but the son would begin to prepare a room on the father's house. 
because the son would eventually inherit the father's home. But before the son could move his bride in, he had to build a room. And it's interesting when you read about uh, the Jewish timeline is the father told the son when his room was ready, because probably like most guys, they would like throw up some little tent and say, all right, dad, I'm ready. I'm going to go get her tomorrow. The father would approve when he was done. Now, when the father said so, the the um, the groom, the right, the son would go and go get the bride and bring the bride home. And they would spend seven days in that household or in whatever they built. They would spend seven days together. And at the end of seven days, they would go back to the bride's house to celebrate the wedding uh, more often. Now, why do I bring that up? Jesus uses that analogy. And remember that the Bible is the written word of God. We see all of these examples. Jesus tells us that his father's house has many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Jesus says that one, one word. In fact, it's that great analogy of he's the carpenter, right? That's what he did. He was a carpenter. But whatever he's doing in heaven has taken over 2,000 years, and he's not yet heard the father say, go get your bride and bring her home. But that's what we're awaiting. That's what I wanted to look at today in Revelation 4, that John sees through an open door, but he sees elders in robes with crowns, who at the mention of the holiness of God with the creatures singing, throw down their crowns, those rewards, and worship him alone. Let me tell you, you don't want to miss that. And what we read in Peter, God is long suffering. He's not wanting anyone to perish. You know, in Noah's day, it, it, it appears that it was over a hundred years that he was building that ark. There was ample opportunity for people to have an opportunity to believe, but they didn't believe. But I want to give you that opportunity, especially if you've never made Jesus, the Lord of your life, or you've been running in a different direction, and this is the time to come back because we know and we believe that Jesus can return at any moment. And yes, you can accept him later, but you do not want to go through this next period of time. You want to have that opportunity to be with him. And if you've never prayed this prayer, or if this is that opportunity to, to turn around and come back to him, would you pray this prayer along with me and believe it in your heart? Pray this with me. Dear God, I believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for me. I confess and accept Jesus as my Lord and the Savior of my life. I confess and thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins today. And I begin my relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The most important prayer you'll ever pray. And like many have done before, if you prayed that for the first time, or today was a day of a turnaround, would you email us, info at hillschurcharcadia.org. Use the social media platforms that you're watching or listening to so that we can connect back to you because Jesus is coming soon. John saw it. Paul talked about it. 
Jesus even said it. And we know that there is that time that he is coming in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and you've got to be ready for him because Jesus is coming soon. <clears throat> As we prepare to close today, we'll receive our tithes and offerings with this one verse today out of Proverbs 19:21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Would you agree with that, men and women? There are many plans that roll around in our heart, things to do, what to do. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. Have you ever planned to do something and it didn't work out? Have you ever followed what the Lord said to do and watch what he does? There are many plans. We, we have to be planners, but we need the counsel of the Lord because that's the only thing that will stand and it will stand the test of time. So in our giving, what why many times it might look odd or unusual, but it's the Lord's counsel and that will stand. He is already at work. He is at work doing the things that he said that he would do. So let's pray this prayer today. Let's believe it in our hearts and let's trust that God is at work. It will stand in our lives. As I give in today's offering, I stop and I recognize that you, Lord, are directing my life. I understand that I may make my plans, but it is the Lord who directs my heart, my mind, and my feet. And you carefully oversee all that happens to me. I give today with confidence in you and your plan is working in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're giving today, you can actually go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org. You can give online. You can click on the Give button on the top right of the website. It is safe, it's fast, and it's secure. You can also give or write to us by mail, the Hills Church, P.O. Box 661419, Arcadia, California, 91066. Hey, and I would encourage you, tune in each and every week, read along in the book of Revelations as we get into what Jesus revealed to John would happen in the last days. And Jesus ends the book of Revelation with saying, surely I am coming quickly. The Lord bless you. You have a great day, and please know that we are praying for you.